0: Test, one, two, test, one, two, test, 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 one, two, one, two. This is Uncle Hokage, your oh, taku uncle. Welcome to the podcast. Hope everybody is having a great afternoon, um, or whenever it is you should listening to this particular podcast. Uh, this is Uncle Hokage's anime podcast, and this is episode 22, which is part three of of the Hunter, Hunter rundown, the Hunter, Hunter wonder, the Hunter, Hunter extravagance. As I've stated previously on the previous parts and on other episodes, Hunter, Hunter is my absolute favorite manga of all time. I've reread it so many times. I have uh, volumes one through, I think, 10 Japanese versions. Um, in addition to whichever uh, ones that I happen to have or still maintain. Uh, But it is one that I feel is it's the epitome of storytelling. Tagashi, I feel, is a brilliant individual, Uh, specifically for the way that he crafts the tales, the way that he deals with characters, and the way that he inserts a little bit of humanity into the fantastical, more so than a lot of other mangakas can do. So every... uh, body remembers in the early to mid-2000s, the Shonen Jump 3, the big three. There's Naruto, One Piece, Bleach. Naruto, One Piece, Bleach. Each of them coming to the forefront from time to time. But I say that the fourth great dark horse, the one that stands off to the side like Poseidon, is Hunter, Hunter. And Hunter, Hunter is my personal favorite of all four. Um, I've seen... All of Naruto, uh, of course, I've read all of Bleach. I didn't watch all of it. Uh, Bleach had its moment. Naruto had several moments. One Piece is having its moment right now. If you're up to date on the current arc, I'm not going to say more than that, but, oh, it is great. Um, and then beyond that, we have Hunter Hunter. So, previously, what we talked about was the tournament and the characters learning Nen. Nen is the crucial power in the world of the Hunter Hunter universe. It is that other power that allows people to uh, get more powerful beyond just being strong. And it is that uh, little bit that lets the series become a little bit more fantastical, a little bit more magical, all fed through the lens of Nen powers and what i love so much about nin powers is how logical it is the powers sit on a six pointed diamond scale and if you uh are an, you have an affinity of one of the different points um and let me jump back to uh hunterpedia just to make sure. So there's enforcement, there's transmutation, conjuration, emissions, manipulation, and specialization. Now, if you are an enhancement, that means you can use 100% of your powers in the enhancement category. And you can use 60, you're 60% capable in the two adjacent categories. In this case, that would be emissions or transmutation. But if you try to do something on the opposite end of the diamond, which would be specialization, you have a zero percent chance of being effective versus manipulation and conjuration, which you would have a 30% chance. And it's the same for every single category pretty interesting so that means the opposite diamond ones are tend to be those that um, you might or may or may not be uh, weak against but it's not quite Pokemon. you just have to understand how the powers work for yourself and once you understand what you can and you and cannot do and what you are potentially capable of, you don't waste your time if you're smart and you can put together a power that suits you but more on that, uh, right now, actually, because we're getting to the part where Nen starts to get its wings and fly. At this point, we now are aware of the existence of Nen. And we're uh, aware that what you should do, because what Hisaka told us, is you should pick a power that fits within your category and use it to your ability. The problem that came when he fought uh, the one guy who he had was raising up... In the, um, the tournament, the, the tower of the, the celestial tournament, the celestial tower, whatever it's called, that person was using a nin category that was like he only had a 30% affinity for. Her which I believe was conjuration. And when he used conjuration, he's not gonna be as strong as he potentially could be if he had used a power that was inside his wheelhouse, which I'm assuming was emissions or something like that. Or maybe maybe he was an, uh, an enforcer. So it's like you can use powers in other categories, you're just not gonna be as capable in those categories. and some, you're gonna be so impossibly incapable that there's no point. Um, whereas Hisoka's transformation. And so he made a bungee gum, which he turns his aura into something else. And... That's it. So that could be good. That could be bad. But he uses his mind beyond that to put it to good use. If he can make it so thin you can't see it, if he can make it invisible, if he can make it stretch, if he can make it shrink, if he can make it change textures, that opens up a whole caveat of things he can do, of um, ideas of deception. And it explains all the mystical stuff that he was doing during the hunter exam when he was able to throw playing cards and stab Uh, the fake examiner, it's because he used his bungee gun aura to send them cards flying straight. And when he was able to make a person's arms uh, disappear, or I guess in the updated version, to seal him halfway in between this cave, it's because he used his aura to uh, bungee stick him there. And that things start to make sense of the secret behind his mysticism. He's just a highly capable individual. Okay, so now the the story pulls back a little bit and it starts to focus on Kurapika. It opens up with him walking towards this mansion and him uh, trying to see and understand where his job is. So because Karapaka is looking for the phantom troop, which we've learned that Hisaka has infiltrated to some degree, he decides to uh, go and get a job with um, the underground world. That's mob bosses, uh, mafias, hitmen, stuff like that. And he walks into this mansion. And when he enters, he enters in a room with five other people five or six other people, and they're all sitting around waiting to be interviewed. Um, and what we notice for the first time is, is uh, Kurapika has chains uh, around his fingers on one of his hands. That's not something he had before, but he moves forward. When they all arrived, all five of them, the screen to a giant TV comes on and the screen says, welcome candidates for this job. If you are uh, going to be this job, then I trust that you have brought the necessary uh, requirements and what was needed. And it's a man talking via vi- video cam. So everybody's pulling out all these weird objects like um, hair from a mummy, um, diseased skin from um, some corpse, Uh, and so forth and so on. All these weird body part type things that we kind of get a sense of what they are dealing with. There's a lot of underground trading, trading of things that most people wouldn't really want for any reason. Um, Even Karapaka has his, uh, which is ironic considering why he's there. He is there because... He's trying to get back the stolen eyes of his clan, but uh, he still is participating so that he can get this job. He goes in and they says, good, thank you for uh, making your way here. And those of you who could survive will be hired. And then the screen cuts off. And as the screen cuts off, all of a sudden ninjas roam into the room with guns and they start firing, and everybody scrambles. Um, as people scramble, they split off and they're having to fight these uh, all these ninjas. Uh, this is the first time that we see Karapaka's power. He pulls out an extended chain, and he whips it around, catching the bullets in the links individually, and then he jumps up onto the chandelier. Other people are down below fighting. One person punches one of the creatures, and then he kind of goes, huh? And then somebody else is, is fighting. And then Karapaka looks around, looks around, realizes something, hops down and puts a knife to this one guy's neck. And he says, all of these ninjas, they're yours. Make them disappear or, the, or, or you die. The man says, what are you talking about? And Karapaka says, when I stood on the chandelier, they just attacked me wildly. They didn't even try to get at me. And I noticed that everyone is being attacked except for you, but you staying in the middle as if to appear like you're dodging them too. But from an up high view, I can tell that you are not being attacked either. So you're probably conjured creatures and you can give a few simple instructions too. <clears throat> but when you give those instructions to them, you can't give them anything too complex because that would cost too much. It'd be too difficult to control. And so he says, Ooh, okay, okay, you caught me. Good job. Now, the next part of the test is for you guys to figure out how to get out of this uh, of this place. I just did my part to attack and I'm going to sit here and just kind of hang out. And so then, one of the people, I think it might have been him or Karabaka stated, there is actually another mole in our group as well. And we need to find out who it is. Who can do it? So... People were like, hmm, I don't know. How are we gonna do it? And Karapaka has another answer again. He pulls out his chain and he says, this is called a dousing chain. And it's a long chain with a metal ball at the bottom. And he says, I'm going to pull it towards everybody and ask you a simple question. So he pulls it to the first person, are you the mole? No. He goes to the next person, are you the mole? No. Goes to the next person, are you the mole? No. On and on until he gets to the guy with long hair. And he says, are you the mole? The guy says, no, but the chain jumps. And he says, the chain just jumped. What does that mean? Well, someone else said that. And he said, nah, it's just some stupid chain. And Kurapaka says, no, it's the dousing chain. You are the mole. It moved. And uh, the guy said, man, how are you going to believe this chain? But Melody, another character, the small, uh, kind of balding, schlubby character with buck teeth, Uh, She says, no, your heart skipped a beat when he asked you, like it was hectic. I can tell because her power is all music-based and she has incredibly perceptive hearing. So she can hear the erratic nature of people's heartbeats and she can tell when they're lying. And then one more guy comes up and he said, there's only one way to find out. He said, my power is called haiku. Anything I write comes into an existence, and so he pulls out these scraps of paper and he writes it into um, a haiku. And the first haiku says, anything I touch, I burn. He crumples it. Anything I punch, I burn, will burn. He crumples it and he punches a chair and the chair immediately lights on fire. He says, my power is called haiku, and now we're gonna test it out for real. He says, Anybody who doesn't answer my question honestly will burn. And other lies, in other words, liars burn in hell. So he goes to everybody like Kurapika did. And he said, are you the mole? Are you the mole? Are you the mole? And then when he gets to the long-haired guy, he says, are you the mole? There's a beat. And then the man says, fine, yes, you caught me. I am the mole. Okay, so you stopped the uh, ninjas, you found out that I'm the one secret, but I'm not going to tell you how to get out of the hotel. Uh, how to get out of this mansion. You're going to have to figure that out yourself. But then this one girl uh, stands up and says, that's what you think. And then she kisses him and (laughs) invokes her power which is like a new slave or something. And so she basically makes him fall in love with her and she's like, tell us how to get out of here or I'll stop stepping on you. And she's stepping on his face. He's like, no, no, don't stop stepping on me. And so then he tells him how to get out the room. And everyone's like, yeesh, her power is terrifying. But that's how the story gives us a very basic understanding of how nin powers could work. You pick something, and based on what you pick, it needs to suit your category. So let's go down the list. The list. So that means the um, uh, the the woman who kisses who kisses uh, the character. Maybe I can pull up the characters too, because that would kind of help. Because I don't know these characters as. um I don't know these characters as much as the others. I don't think that they're going to be in the Hunterpedia either. Uh, maybe if I go to Kurapika's page, it's going to show me uh, some of the people he's interacted with. No, probably not. Probably not. Okay, so I won't worry about that. So she kiss, she can kiss, I'm assuming, men and make them do her bidding. That's a manipulator. She's manipulating another human being to follow her instructions. I don't know what the restrictions are other than they have to have physical contact with her lips from lip to lip, which is already could be something difficult, but uh, it's an interesting power. Um, We'll get to Karapakas in a second. the other person's power, um, who punches things, I believe he is, uh, emissions where he sends his aura outward into other things. Uh, I believe it's through the haiku. Um, he puts his aura there and then whatever is determined by the haiku will occur. Now I may just be misinterpreting it, but that's what it basically seems like, and on and on. Um, the guy with the long hair, he's also a manipulator. And what he does is he works with dogs. So he loves dogs, and they he's able to train them to a crazy degree to be able to do things that the average dog could never do. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about Karabakas, because I think this is the first time we get the fun backstory on how he learned Nen. So When Karapaka learns Nen, he finds himself a teacher out in the woods. Am I telling this too early? I think I'm telling this way too early. But that's okay. We're going to tell it now because it kind of suits where I'm giving my little brief explanation because I want to keep things moving. He finds a Nen instructor, and the Nen instructor asks him what he wants to do. And Karapaka says... He wants to defeat the spiders, and so he says, "Okay." He teaches him how to manipulate his aura, and then he has him do the wine, ta- the, the wine glass test. Now, in the test, Kurapika gets conjurer. Now, he's disappointed. He was hoping for reinforcement because he wanted to be able to um, infuse. His, uh, his body with aura, with strength, because it would help him be able to take down the phantom troop. But his sensei helps him kind of determine something else. He helps him to determine that he is, uh, with conjuration, you can make something specific. Now, the way a conjurer works is they can create any object out of thin air at will. But first, they have to understand and know the object from the inside and out. And then one... So it's, it's, it, it kind of creates a weird conundrum because it's like, do you create a blade that's so sharp it can cut through anything? But then it's like, what's the point when you can just get a really, really good um, sword that can cut through most things? Why go through the trouble? So the real dilemma is determining what you want to conjure. And... I think the trick is when you conjure something that has properties that you can't find in the real world or that can do things that would never be possible and you give them and you imbue upon it special properties that you would never think would exist, that seems like the way to go. So Kurapika decides to um, create a chain that he can utilize to... Um capture the Phantom Troop. Man, his arc is is really cool. Okay, so that's how that's the origin story of his chain, and we'll get to a little bit more details a little bit later on. But then this next bit is when things start to get pretty interesting. It take we take Karapaka through the um we take Kurapika through the whole situation where um, he is trying to uh, getting good with the family. Once they are in involved, once 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 he passes the test. And they escape the house and they bring back... I'm doing things a little bit out of order. My memory is a little not perfect on this. So they show up first. Then they get clues. Then they are able to leave. And then they have to bring back something else that the people in the mansion want. And then when they bring it back, then they're finally hired. There it is. The diseased skin, the petrified mummy hair, stuff like that. And then they go and meet their client. The head of the Nostrad family... Now, the Nostrad family is one of the big elite mafia families, and everybody is after the the daughter. The reason is that the Nostrad family's daughter has a latent nin power that allows her to predict the future in uh, couplets. So she can have the person write down their name, their date of birth, their blood type, where they were born and then her power imbues itself in her hand and she writes out four quatrains that will kind of explain in a weird mythical way what's going to happen to them over the next coming months due to this power her father has utilized it and it's allowed him to make millions upon millions by being able to predict everything being able to avoid danger being able to fight off enemies and he's been depending on his daughter so much Ironically, his daughter ended up becoming a fan of collecting weird human body parts, crazy uh, atrocities, strange things like that. So she wants to go to the mafia auction. It's one of the only places where you can get these wild and crazy things. Now, this mafia auction, it's one of the Only ways that you can really attain um, all of these like strange bits from like discarded pieces of humanity. So the mafia family hires bodyguards to really, really protect the group. They want to protect the daughter at all costs, and that's why they're there, Karapika and these new characters. And then into the Genai Ryodan, the phantom troop, the spider. Our first shot of them is them walking the desert. Nobunaga, um, Ubo, uh, I'm going to pull up their names because I'm going to mess up their names like crazy. I kind of know them um, in a base sense, but I want to make sure that um, I have them down. So it shows them all walking to this area of the city, uh, Nobunaga, Feitan, Franklin, and Uvo, Uvojin. They're, being, they're headed to York New because they found out about um, the mafia auction. So they're headed there so that they can do what they do. They're a troop of thieves who are some of the most powerful NIN users on the planet, and they're off to this auction. Why? To steal stuff. That's what they do. The Phantom Troop has gathered together, for the most part, for this purpose, and they're renowned for how powerful they are, and they're renowned for their incredible ability. They're world famous, and that is what's so curious about them. So... They appear out of nowhere, and we start to follow what they want to do a little bit too. And when they finally meet, they meet in these abandoned buildings off to the side of the city. There's like a little bitty alcove, not a bitty, there's a massive alcove of just abandoned buildings, and they choose one room inside one of the buildings as a headquarters so they can sit and discuss. And all the Phantom Troop members are there for the first time probably in a while because they don't always hang out together. So this is all the Troop members, including Hisoka. They discover that there is the mafia auction coming soon. So they are going to go in and they are going to uh, kind of do what they want. Now, at the same time, on the opposite end, Kurapika is protecting the... uh, He's being the bodyguard for the princess as well. So, this is where things really start to get fun. And this is... Leading up to the moment where I 100 and just like 30% fell in love with Hunter Hunter as a manga. With the idea of Nen, with the way it's implemented, with how clever and smart all of the characters ended up being. The reason that Kurapika became so admirable for me right there in the first mansion scene is because the way that he figured things out. He hopped up on the chandelier, he used his brain, and his powers were just a way for him to channel that intelligence into a physical arena. That's what I love about Hunter Hunter, is that it's you have to use your brain first in order to succeed in this endeavor. Um, so fast forward a little bit, because I don't want to get too sidetracked, but the The spiders are after the items for the auction, so when the mafia people come through, they rob them, and as they're robbing them, an alert goes out to all the mafia members saying, the spider or someone has stolen from the auction, what are we going to do? We have to take them down they how dare you uh, fight from us? How dare you try to steal from us? They don't know who they're stealing from and so the the spiders just driving away because they stole from one of the vans and they are taking these items back. But the Mafia sends their own NIN users after the spiders. And this is where we have a very high-level NIN battle. Um, I'm going to see if I can find... Here it is. Here it is. So the Mafia's people are called the Shadow Beasts in the 1999 version. And they all have these very weird, very strange din powers. One of them, he has uh, teeth that he can bite through anything. One of them is a slug or a bug man where he keeps like leeches inside of his body that he can spit out into people's open wounds. One of them can wrap anything in the world in a uh, cloth and it will sh- get in the cloth and sh- shrink down to something that you can put in your pocket. And that's really how they're introduced. He just appears out of nowhere, throws the cloth over the car with all of the um, Phantom Troop inside, and they all get out, except for, I think, uh, Faitan, because he was in, sitting in the middle seat, so he didn't have the ability to get out of the car like the other four did. And they decide they're gonna take out the Ginei Ryodan right here and right now, but there's no guarantee that they can. Everybody's heard history of the Genai Ryodan, But nobody has really heard about the shadow beast, but that's why they're so confident. They're like, we are top tier NIN users, and only if that were true. So, all four of them end up fighting Uvojin. He is the biggest and the strongest of all of the Gennari Yodon. He is the spider that is basically seven foot tall, 380 pounds, pure muscle, hair down all the way back like Super Saiyan uh, Goku, and an incredible impact, power. And what he does is he starts taking out all of the mafia members on his own. He's standing and fighting in a crevice while all the mafia members are coming at him and he's just laughing and calling, shaking off their bullets off his skin because his nim powers uh, reinforcement. And no matter what rifle or anything that they shot comes at him, they can't touch him. A rifle person does hit him once, but he takes a rock, throws it, and kills the rifleman off in the distance. And then eventually they shoot a missile at him, which he blocks with one hand. And he says, that hurt a little bit. But he still essentially shakes it off. So when the shadow beasts come and they start attacking him one by one, first they come at him, the guy with crazy teeth bites bites a wound in his neck. Uh... And then Uvog- Uvogon like kind of like laughs it off, but then he realizes he can't move because the guy is, has paralysis powers. And then the person, uh, leech person jumps on his back and puts leeches in his body. And he says that these are specific bugs that will, um, the eggs will hatch inside uh, ammonia, which is your urine. So the next time you pee, all the eggs will hatch and they will explode inside of your bladder and then you'll die a horrible agonizing death. Gross! And then the shadow guy swerves up, and he tries to come after him too, and it's all of this stuff. But Uvogon insists on taking them out himself. One guy, he um, turns his body into uh, pincushions, like a hedgehog. So when Uvogon punches him, the pin needles stick into his into his fist, and he can't reach him anymore. Well then he's like, well, then I'll use your body to punch the other guy. So when he does, he changes half of his body into curly, soft fluff so he can't hurt his punk padre. He says, I can change my body at will. I can make uh, half of my body fluffy and half of my body spiny, however I want to do it. So what does he do? Uvogon yells. He does an incredible nin-powered yell and pierces the man's uh, eardrums making his brain bleed, killing him that way. Then when the one guy is on his uh, back, he bites his head and kills him that way. And then he chews up the piece of brain and he spits it at one of the other character, the wolf character and shoots that through his brain. And then when the shadow man tries to get away, he punches him and kills him as well. So Uvogon has essentially won, but now he can't move. Um, and this is what's so interesting too about the um, spider is that they're so smart. So one of the other characters in the spider, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> um, he's not even listed as one of the top ones. He always gets overlooked. Um, Shalnark. He tells he does a quick analysis of the bugs. Because he's like, the paralysis is going to wear off soon, but the bugs are the main problem. He says, but the bugs need a high concentration of ammonia to be born. So what we're going to do is we're going to flush the ammonia from your urine so that when you pee, you're not going to be able to, they're not going to hatch and you'll just pass the harmless eggs. So we're going to just have you drink a ton of beer. And so Uvogan is like, yes, I'm going to drink beer. And that solves that. So... As it's happening in the distance, Karapaka is watching and he sees the spiders and he's enraged and his whole temper is flaring and he wants to go down after them and he says, I'm going. And they're like, no, no, no. He's like, no, no, I'm going. I'm going right now. But then Melody plays some music on her flute and her power of music as her being a composer calms the situation. Karapika gains composure and 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 he says, okay, I understand Thank you for calming me down. She says that she used to be a beauty. And then one night she was hunting uh, famous music and she found the devil's, part of the devil sonata, which is supposed to be the most evil score ever created. So one night she got drunk and she and her friend listened to just the flute section. Her friend was burned alive and... <clears throat> Melody was horribly scarred. Her entire right arm is withered and decayed like Dumbledore. And I believe it changed her form as well. Now she's trying to find those uh, pieces of sonatas, those pieces of music and destroy them so they don't harm anybody else. Now, Kurapuka then takes his time and decides to formulate a plan. So he waits, he bides his time, he sneaks in waits until uvogen is in some sort of empty room drinking beer and he captures him he wraps his chain around him and snatches him completely away from the rest of the of the troop capture success so this is where things really get cool. And this is the scene where it makes me really respect Karapaka as a character, as a fighter, as so many other things. Because he pulls Uvogan out into the desert to fight him. Um, and to, no, not even to fight him, to interrogate him. He's not there to do some sort of fair fight. He's not there to do, okay, now you versus me, and then I'm going to square up and you're going to, no. know. He has a in-enforced chain. And this is where we learn really the secrets of his chain. Each individual fingers has a different conjured chain power. There's the dousing chain. There is... Um, the just the action chain which he can kind of like swing around and stuff no i think that's the dousing chain too his middle finger has what it's called as chain jail which he can only use on members of the phantom troop when it wraps around one of the phantom troop members it puts them in a state of zetsu which is the that's one of the nin states where it shuts off your nin abilities so they can't break through the chain um with their nin powers. And he's very grateful that he's captured Uvogan first because he's the f- most physically strong. So if he can't break out of with, with sheer strength, none of them can. And that's exactly what happens. And in addition to that, there's a reason why the um, powers are so strong because Karapaka has a nin chain wrapped around his own heart, stabbed into it with this condition. The condition is if he uses the chain jail on anyone other than the Gennariyodon, he will die. And that's the power of Nin. The greater the restriction, the greater the risk and sacrifice, the stronger it becomes. And since Karapaka wants it to specifically get rid of and put away the Gennariyodon entirely, he makes his restriction absurd, wild, ridiculous. So, all that being said, he is able to essentially defeat Uvogon as he tries to interrogate him. <clears throat> What's more, we find out that when Kurapika's eyes turn red, he flips from being in the conjuration category, but in the specialization category. Specialization allows him to use 100% of all six nin categories. So when Uvogon punches him and breaks his wrist, he can then use his recovery chain and heal himself immediately. And then finally, he stabs his final chain, the judgment chain, into Uvogan's heart. Since he's not talking, he says, you will answer my questions honestly, or you will die. And so he says, what are the names of the spiders and what are their powers? And as soon as Uvogan starts to say, you know what, you can kiss my, he stabbed in the heart. He falls over dead. And that is that. Karapika then buries the body. And then drops to his knees exhausted you having used specialization full red eyes for a long time having revealed that he's part of the kurata clan to Uvogin, but he's getting the first bit of his revenge and it costs him all his energy most of his life and so much daunting stress and that is that so that is kind of the start of this whole mafia arc, and it kind of opens up a little bit when Gon and Kilua and Leorio then decide to just appear in Yorkshin city. Now, why do Gon and Kilua decide to go to Yorkshin city? Let's rewind a bit. So after Gon and Kilua leave the Zodlach family, they go home. Now this is a fun little arc because it let's just have a breather. When I say go home, they go to Gon's home. He goes back to Whale Island, and Kilua gets to meet um, Gon's aunt. I'm so terrified of mispronouncing people's names now. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go to Gon. I think it's uh, I think it's Misoto. And this is so funny because, um, there it is, Mito. Mito is gone's on. It's funny because there's so many names and so many shows, but I kind of always have to do it for myself and figure all this stuff out, but that's okay. That's part of the reason why I like doing these is because I never know exactly what's going to happen and I can just kind of keep going and we can kind of keep talking these things through. So Onward and upward. Gone and Kilo takes Kilo back to his home, and brings Mi- Mito his first real human friend, his own age. Um, and that's the first time they see Gon, and he kind of tells her about the hunter's exam. He shows her his license. She pretends like she's about to break it in half, freaks him out, because you can't get another one, even though it's one of the most rarest items in the world. And she acts like a bossy mom to Killua, too. And Gon just kind of like goes, ha, ha, ha. But you know, Killua likes it because it's part of being like in a normal family with people that care about you and dote on you. Now, at the same time, He gets this item from his father. And we all know that the whole point of the series for Gone is he's trying to meet his father, Jing. His father left him this weird box. And he says, you know what? You can't um, open this box until later. And so the box is like this weird puzzle box. And it's, like, made up of metal pieces, and they try to break it. Kilua tries to break it, and he's passed three or four of the doors, like, 30 tons that he can push. They're both incomparably strong young men, but they can't break this box that Gon's dad had left to him. So they said, Kilo says, hey, wait a second, Gon. What's something that we didn't used to have that we have now? And Gon says, oh, that's right, my hunter's license. So he swipes the hunter's license over the box. And of course, nothing happens. And Kilua smacks him in the head. He says, no, not your license, nin. So Gon says, oh. So he puts his hands on both sides of the box and he casts his aura. And the box pieces come apart and it pops open, revealing a few things, a ring and a memory card. Gon looks at the ring, slips it on. He says, huh, this ring is weird. And then he's like, "I don't know what this card is." And Kilawa's was like, "What do you mean? You never played JoyStation?" And Gon's like, "JoyStation? What's JoyStation?" Well, JoyStation is this world's PlayStation, and I mean PlayStation 1. Hence another reason why I love this show. So Kila explains that what Gon is holding is a memory card, and that belongs to some game. And beneath below that is a cassette tape. So what do they do? They pull out an old boombox and they decide to listen to the cassette tape. So Gon puts the tape in and immediately he hears his father's voice for the first time. So he says to paraphrase that Gon this is me, your father, Jing, And I know that you're wanting to find me, but I don't want you to find me. I'm going to run from you, Gon. I'm going to be the hardest person you've ever tried to find. But I want you to come after me. And there's clues are left for you in this box. And so if you can find me using these clues, you deserve to find me. And I'll talk to you about whatever the case may be. So use these clues, find me. And in addition to that, there's something that I want you to uh, know about as well. Um, On this memory card, there is a game Called Greed Island. In this game are some clues about myself and there's some things in there that I feel like you should see. And they say, Wow, Greed Island, a game that Jing says he and some friends made that he wants John to try. Interesting. But what is Greed Island? So as they're about to hit to as Kilo's about to hit stop, Gon says, wait. He's about to say something else. And he does. Jing says, so gone also. If you want to know about your mother, and then Gon immediately stops the tape. And Kilua says, don't you want to know about your mom? And Gon says, no, Mito's my mother. And that's that. And he never brings up the subject again and Kilua says cool well that's weird so okay let's take the tape out and then maybe we can use it to find clues about your father but then the boom box lights up with aura and starts glowing and then it starts rewinding and they're like what's going on and it says oh no it's rewinding and it's going to record over itself so they try to take the tape out and then they can't so Kilua says gone I'm going to smash your boom box and he charges his fist up with aura and punches it but nothing happens the aura from the tape expanded around the boom box and you can't destroy it so Jean- found a way to protect him and record him and, and make it so that as soon as his voice was heard the tape was erased even though he wasn't there many years ago hilarious so now all they have is a clue they have a memory card and then they have they have a memory card and then they have a ring so they order a joy station. Kilua and gone because they're both millionaires now, (laughs) they use their money to get the same-day delivery of joy station to the island, which is like a helicopter delivery in this world. So they get a joy station, they plug the memory card in, plug it to a TV, and it just says, Greed Island. That's all it says. One memory slot, Jing Freaks. But it doesn't tell them anything else other than that. So the mystery expands. So... Kilua then, at, then says, okay, we'll use a separate memory card and we'll make a copy of Greed Island of the Greed Island file. So he calls his brother Miluka because his brother uh, Miluki knows about games. So he says, hey, um, do you know anything about Greed Island? And his brother says, what do you know about Greed Island? It's only the rarest, most hard-to-get impossible video game on the planet. And Kilua says, well, I don't know. And he was like, well, tell you what, can you give me some information on it? And he says, no. And he says, how about we trade? I'll trade you a guaranteed uh, Greed Island uh, memory card file. And Kilua turns to Gon and says, don't worry, I'm going to give him the copy file. And he says, where did you get that? And Kilua says, let me know if you want it. So he sparked his brother's interest. Now all three of them are curious about this thing called Greed Island. So they're like, well let's go on the internet. So they go on the internet, they go in a chat room, and they try to find information about Greed Island. So then they have to go into a secret chat room specifically for hunters because not everybody is allowed. So they go into the secret chat room about Greed Island, uh, and they ask, what is Greed Island? And someone says, Greed Island is a game designed specifically for hunters and hunters only. It's the most dangerous game in the world, and some people even die. But in order to find it, you have to seek it. So then they go online and they find out that there are only so many copies of Greed Island in the world. And the next bits of copies are gonna be sold at an auction in York New, where Carapaca is. And then they find out the price is hundreds of millions of dollars, close to a billion dollars, and there's only so many copies. So. Now, the only way for them to get this game is to make tons and tons of money. They think it's going to cost about maybe 75 to $100 million to get a copy of this game. So they have to go to York New City. So they say their goodbyes to Mito san, and Gon and Kurapika are off once again. And then they end up going and meeting Leorio in York New, who's haggling over a phone. And he gets Gon a specific phone, a cell phone called the Beatles, so they can all stay in touch. Then they meet up with Kurapika eventually in the city, and they find out that he is involved with the mafia. And when they tell him what they're trying to get and all this stuff and this and that, he interjects by stating, I'd love to help you, but I can't because I know that the spider are here. The spider are here somewhere. Now, because I'm your otaku uncle, there's a part that I really need to talk about. The spider has found out that Uvogon is dead, essentially. So you're gonna have to forgive me if I get my time frame down or off a little bit. But, and I know people are just like, <laughs> if they're listening through this, like, no, this part happens first and then that part. Like, I, I, I get it, I get it, I get it, y'all. Um, but, um, I know, I know that you're gonna trust me to, to take take this part home because these are some of the most incredible pieces of manga ever written. There are a few fights in this manga that are just beyond the pale. They are so good, and one of them happens in York New. But leading up to that, when Karapika tells Gon and Kilua and Leorio that the spider are here and he is there after them, and that he's also working for this mafia organization, that they need to stay away from the, from the spider, Gon and Kilua decide that they are going to try to make some money. So, Gon is like, How strong are the spider? And Kilua and tells him it's like three Hisukas sitting at the table, for your reference, which means that they're insanely strong. So, they kind of operate together and they say, We're going to help you track them down, Karapika. And Karapa says, Okay, I'll use you guys. Because Gon wanted him to put a nin blade through their hearts as well to give them imbued power, but Karabaka says he can't do that. He can only use his powers against the spider in that way. So, Karabaka hatches a plan, and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna sneak up and infiltrate their base. We're gonna get as close as we can, find out where they are, and then we can revise and come back. He brings Melody into the plan because she has her special ability, and Gon and Kilua as well because they're both strong. This is where things get a little nutty. As Kilua ends up sneaking in on them, and Gon kind of does too, the plan backfires and the two of them are captured. And then they're taken to the spider's base. And as they're taken, we're learning a little bit more about the spiders and their abilities. And then the spiders are sitting around and they are learning that Uvogin is dead and he's gone and he's not coming back, but they're aware that there's some guy called the chain guy who is after him. The chain guy is coming for him. This is... Oh, my God. (laughs) Just reliving these moments. Reliving these moments is... It's wild. It's weird because... I feel the thrill every single time I talk about them. Um, before Gon and Kilua are really able to escape, they are able to really get in commune with the personalities of the spiders. And Nobunaga actually arm wrestles Gon again and again and again because he misses his friend Uvogin was one of his best friends. They had, a, they had an attack combination. And Gon is pissed because he doesn't show any compassion for the people he kills, but he does for his comrade. And Kurapika, they're like, why are you after us, right? Well, Kilua says, oh, we were, uh, we're after you. for There's a ransom on your head because you guys stole from the mafia. Well... Because of the ransom, uh, the the ransom was canceled and Kurapaka pretended like they didn't know so they wouldn't really come after them. But it's a very dangerous game. Hisaka is in there as well and Gon basically, and Kilua and Hisaka are looking away from each other saying, pretend you don't know each other. But then Gon goes, there he is. And they're like, what, like you moron. It's, it's a whole convoluted mess, basically. The spiders have captured our two main characters. And because I'm trying to get to this fight, I'm not gonna give too many of the details because you guys were aware with, uh, with, with kind of what happens in this scene um, in riding with your otaku uncle. But what's important is that Gon and Killua managed to escape because Nobunaga wants them to join the spiders. And so they set him to watch Gon and Kilua on their own. So to kind of give you a little bit more context, Gon has hawked his hunter's license with a, to, with a person that they found who can actually raise money. And this person is helping them earn money within the auction house by putting their money in the auction house and he promises a return. Now, This person taught him some skills which allowed Gon and Killua to escape. But it's constant danger. It's constant threat. It's constant just innovation on the spot. And it's one of those things that makes the show so brilliant. So I want to really talk about this fight scene because when Kuroro Lucifer, who's the head of the spiders, finds out that Uvogin is dead, he lets the spiders... Unleash on the entirety of the mafia. They are allowed to cause chaos, they are allowed to cause damage, and the mafia is waiting for them to come. So they hire their own bodyguards, and each of the family brings people in to combat and hunt them down. Carapica ends up being one of the bodyguards for the Nostrad family that's sent to hunt down the spider. And then when all the bodyguards arrive, Silva and Xenos from Kilua's family show up and they were hired by the mafia to kill the spider. So when they say, we're sitting around making code names and all the other bodyguards are like, we need a plan of attack. They're like, what's your code names? I'm going to be red and he's going to be blue and we're going to be purple and he's like, Silva, Genos. you guys are being childish. He says, we're assassins and we don't go around making code names and slowing people down. We're going to do things our own way. Do not get in our way. And Karapaka agrees with them, and he notices that they're Kilo's family, so he doesn't say anything. But he says, here, take this. It's our card. They're assassins, remember, but he still hands him a card. He's like, you may want someone killed in the future. We'll give you a 20% discount. They're freaked out. But the famous Zoedlik family is incredibly strong, so This is our chance, our first chance to see nin abilities to the highest degree. Okay, everybody, let's talk about this fight. As everybody else is trying to hunt down the Genai Ryodan, they're taking out all the mafia members. They're taking out all the bodyguards. And in this moment, the different bodyguards are are dying. The most da- one of the most dangerous bodyguards is able to track down Kuro Lucifer because he knocks out the Nostrad family daughter secretly and then goes to meet with her. Now, what he does is he lets the daughter read his fortune But what he's really doing is he's using that to steal her ability because he has a a Kuro Lucifer, the head of the spiders, is a nin specialist. What he does, the specialization category, is he can steal people's abilities and put them in a book. When he has the book open, he flips to a page, he can utilize any ability inside the book. He just has to see them, use it once, and have them explain how it works. As a result, in order for his ability to work, he has to be slightly charismatic. He has to find a way to get close. And this is, this is what he does. So he gets close to this girl, the Nostrad family girl, because she's trying to sneak into the, the auction. She snuck away from her bodyguards. And when she's about to get there, he uses her to get inside. And then he sneakily knocks her unconscious. Everybody is like going, you guys need to leave until he tells her that he's, this is the Nostrad family's daughter. And if you don't let her in, there's going to be extreme consequences. So he uses that to sneak in even further. But he doesn't care about her anymore. He's already gotten her ability. So he goes to the ceiling, to the roof, and one of the bodyguards tracks him down and tries to fight him. And we cut away. But then when we cut back... The man is standing there with knives in different sections of his body, most of his body eaten away, because Kuro is using an an ability called nin fish, where they'll float around and they will eat anything in that room as long as the room exists. So you'll remain alive until the room disappears. And when the room disappears, he falls to the ground in pieces. And as he's doing this, and as chaos is erupting, and as fires are blowing and people are shooting, and the different members of the spider are attacking and killing mafia, manipulating mafia to attack and kill their comrades, he stands at the top, and he waves his fingers like a conductor, and he says to the heavens, Uvogan, can't you hear our orchestra playing just for you, our serenade? This goes up to you for you and your death, for you and your comrades, because this is how much you mean to us. Very dark, very wild, very beautiful. And so when he finally comes down from uh, the roof, or I believe he's just in that room. Maybe he goes to a different room, but a pair of elevator doors open. And that's when Zenos and Silva appear. And they recognize their target. And then the fight ensues. This is one of the most powerful Nin battles we've seen. It's top tier NIN users fighting other top tier NIN users in ways that we can't even really imagine. Um, oh, Jesus, how can we even describe this? I'll give you a couple of highlights. One, um, Crollo rolls and dashes and slashes at Zeno's, cutting his skin, and he has a very special knife. Um, it's a, ben- a, a, a benzo blade which is a rare knife in this world, which can cut his skin because Zeno's skin, or G- a silver skin is so tough, only a special blade would be actually be able to cut the skin. And because it's a, a benzo blade, that means it's poisoned. So when his father, so he looks down at the knife blade, pulls out a strand of his hair, wraps it around his arm, just above the cut, and pulls tight so that the poison inside his arm can't get to the rest of his body. And then his father says, are you okay? He's like, no problem. And Kuro comments, no problem. There was enough poison in there to uh, take down a whale. And they're fighting, and as they're fighting, um, he's fighting Silva while the grandfather is hanging back, watching, waiting for a moment. And, and Corolo says, wow. No, no, the, the grandfather, knows. he comments wow, that how good Corolla, uh, Corolla is. He's attacking uh, Silva and keeping up with him. And they're zooming back and forth and jumping around, dashing, disappearing, reappearing throughout the entire room. But he's still keeping an eye on him not letting him show any weaknesses or any openings or anything like that. So then he pulls out his specialization book, the, I believe it's called the bandit's diary or the thieves book or something like that. And he, inside he uses one of the abilities and then he pulls out this waving cloak. And then they immediately jump back and they say, we can't attack him without knowing what that cloak did does. And Carollo in his mind is like, wow, that old man is smart. And then he says, okay, judging by what you're doing, uh, you probably have to be holding that book in order to be to use an ability. So we're not going to rush in. And then is like, right again. So he says, okay, I'm going to attack him. And then when I do, you're coming at him uh, from behind me, uh, Silva. And Silva says, you got it. He says, and I want you to kill him, even if it kills me. And Silva says, of course. So This is when Zenos does this weird dragon blast. He puts his hands together like Ryu and just shouts, and its dragon energy shoots across the screen, and Kuroo dodges, but then uh, Silva flicks his wrist and points his fingers to the right, and the dragon changes direction and shoots at him. And as he does, and as Kuroo flashes it away with the cape, Zenos dashes forward, catches both his wrists so he can't use his hands to attack him. And from behind him, he says, now, Zeno! Now, Silva! Get him! And rising through the sky is Silva, hair expanding, hands glowing, with two orbs of energy radiating from his fist. And he's about to come crashing down on the now-pinned crew while Zeno's pinning him down, leans over him, laughing. And then a beep goes off. And then the camera cuts away and there's a crash. And after the crash, all three of them pop up. They're all alive. And then Krolo says, hey, you could have killed me. Why didn't you? And Zenos explains. He says that noise was the noise that one of us completed the contract. So when we went to check it, it turns out that the people that hired us are now dead, so they can't pay us our money. And Kurolo says, well, I mean, are you sure you don't want to kill me? You won't get another chance. And they said, please, we don't do this for fun. We do this to get paid. Uh, If you ever want to hire us, let us know. (laughs) And then they kind of like walk off. Well, as it turns out, the spider, Kurolo, hired Ilumi and... um, the other, the other son, the other, uh, the other Zodlek. I actually kind of want to. I kind of want to say his name, um, Kaluto, and the grandfather, or the great grandfather, Maha, who you never hear his name, to take out the mafia heads. And so they completed their mission by killing the heads of the mafia. Boom. So now there's no one to pay them for taking out the spider, so they have no reason to kill him, so Zenos and Silva leave, and that is that. So now Corojo gets to leave, but before he does, he passes out on the ground, and he, he says, he says, hey old man, are you sure you don't want to take me out? And Zeno says, Zeno says, please, don't flatter yourself. I could take you out myself, but that's only if you continue to hold back. If you were actually coming to kill us, I don't know. It'd be tough. And Curolo says, ah, you found out. Turns out Curolo was trying to steal their powers. He wasn't trying to kill them. He just wanted something. Put it in his book, because that's what he's all about. Now, that being one of the greatest fights in Hunter Hunter history, It's one of the things that really drags us into the story and makes us excited, makes me excited for everything that's happening uh, with these characters. So in addition to this scene, things have changed. Things have kind of calmed down a little bit. And the mafia, the fake mafia sends out a signal that the spiders are dead, the spiders are dead. And that is that. So Kurapika now feels heartbroken. He has no reason to uh, kill them. And all he has to do is go to the auction uh, and bid on behalf of the Nostrad family. And when he goes, he makes a bid for the eyes of the Kurata clan. And the man he punched earlier makes a point to raise the bid. And even when Karapaka wins, he's waiting for him outside, but Karapaka is so incensed because the spiders are dead and he's holding his clan members' eyes that he's so terrifying when he passes the Mafia Man, the man stands there shaking and Karapaka wanders off back into um, back into the snow. So a couple of things. Because before we get into the next arc in the next part, we have to put a pin on the spiders and what happens with them. Now, without too much back and forth, because it's a long drawn out piece about the final bit, I'm going to kind of knock these little bits out very quickly so we can get to the next character arc with the spider. Later on, Karapaka finds out that they are alive. He finds out that they exist and they're not going anywhere. That the bodies were fake. And how does he do that? Hisaka tells him. They created fake copies of their bodies so that the mafia would think that they killed the spider. One of the abilities of one of the spiders is he can create copies of anything. Even people, but the people he creates, are not animated, hence they're not alive, which is why they were able to fool the mafia members so easily. Um, That changes everything. Kurapaka then seeks to find them again while they're seeking to find this chain guy at the same time. So it's like a double hunt. And through luck and circumstance and happenstance and poor thinking, Gon and Killua get captured again. But as they get captured, they decide to make an exchange because Kurapika captures uh, Kurolo Corullo tells him that it doesn't matter that he's captured, that the spider will exist beyond himself. That even if he is killed, the spider must go on. But the members of the troop opt to save Corullo anyway. He then, they then make an, uh, an exchange. And they then, um, as the exchange is happening, to exchange Gon and Killua for Corullo, uh, Hisoka finally saunters into the scene, and he forces them to put him and Kurōlo on this deserted island. Because Karapaka has put a nin chain inside Kurōlo's heart, stating that if he ever uses nin again, and if he ever communicates or tells his plan to anyone, to the spiders again, he will die. So basically, he's left him neutered. Not dead, but neutered. So when he goes on to this cave, Hisaka says, "'Finally, I finally can reveal my plan. "'I have entered the spiders so that I can fight you, Kurolo, the strongest of the spiders. "'You're admirable, you're clever, you're witty, you're wise, "'and this is exactly why I'm attracted to you. "'I cannot wait for us to fight. "'Now let us not hold back. "'And if you think this is about us fighting "'between party members, don't worry.'" And he takes the fake spider off his back. "'I never really joined, I'm fake. And then Kurodo starts laughing. And he says, oh, so that's what you wanted. Well, since you're not a spider, I'm allowed to tell you what happened. Uh, The chain guy put a nin chain inside my heart, so now I can no longer use nin. So if you want to fight me, it's going to be boring. And Hisuka's face is priceless. (laughs) So that's basically how the um, thing with the spider ends. The spiders lose Pakunodo, the girl who can... uh, touch people and read their minds and can send memories using nin bullets to other people's heads. And on top of that, they were able to kind of escape. Uh, Gon and Killua were able to escape. And Kurapaka was able to at least dismantle the spider and behead it for at least the time being by taking away his ability to use nin. They're some of the most effective and interesting characters, and it's some of the most coolest, in-depth arcs that I've ever read in a manga. And I didn't even do it justice. You can only do so much in an hour's time. And trying to hit on all the different cool pieces within Hunter x Hunter is damn near impossible, but I will say this. This is one of those shows that everybody should read, that everybody should watch. And the brilliance is in the pudding. So, the next arc that we're going to talk about is the auction and Greed Island. And once we talk about the auction and Greed Island, um, I'm going to decide if I'm going to do the Chimera arc by itself because it's so big, or if I'm going to fast cut the Chimera arc and do the Chimera arc and the current arc. The reason for that is I don't want to tell the entire story. I want to give the highlights, the bright moments, the reasons why it's so great, and how it made me feel in certain instances. This instance of a story really made me rethink how I viewed shonen manga. The whole... Um, mafia arc with the spiders and the Genai Ryodon and Kurapika. it really made me realize that everything doesn't have to be a stereotypical shonen story. You don't have to have just, all right, we're going to sit and get stronger. These are clever characters doing clever things in order to improve. There's a whole series that I kind of just brushed over of gone and Killua trying to figure out how to earn money within an auction circuit. How they use their nin abilities to notice that things are going to be of certain high value to find rare and good items. How they hooked up with an auctioneer who was so inspired by them that he decided to become a hunter in the future. I barely even mentioned that. There's so much goodness and so much real, interesting, unique. Story and hunter x hunter that I can barely even scratch the surface So next time I want to get into and through greed island because that is probably one of my favorite arcs They're all like my favorite arc, but greed island is a lot of fun Especially if you like RPGs if you like card games if you like adventure some of the coolest stuff in any anime ever, happens in Green Island. So this has been part three. Stay tuned for part four coming soon. I'm Uncle Hokage, your otaku otaku uncle do me a favor and share the podcast with one other person and don't forget to wake up every day in anime go to sleep in jrpg uh, like share subscribe love peace and hair grease and i don't know if i have another song that i can utilize that matches i may just put another random song but i probably have some hunter hunter stuff so stay tuned because i want this to kind of keep going and going and going and going yeah